Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. Today is Thursday, November 3rd, 2016, so we're talking about energy, materials, and industrials. I am Sean O'Reilly, and I'm joined in studio by the one, the only, Mr. Taylor Muckerman. What's up, man? Not a whole lot. Pre-taping. Um, yeah, so... In the studio early. I'm not used to this Tuesday morning act, Tuesday afternoon action. Full disclosure for our listeners, um, this Thursday and Friday is the Motley Fool's annual Foolapalooza. Yep. Um, lots of, uh, talking about the future, business plans, um, I don't know, you playing flag football eating, or what are you doing? Drinking. Eating, drinking, it'll be a good time. Yeah. Uh, so we will not be at HQ, we will not be, I mean, I will not be editing, I will not be recording podcasts, you will not be picking stocks, we will, we will be commiserating with our fellow fools, all three. If you want to rob the fool, Thursday but, and Friday are the days to do that it. That would, wait, who's staying behind? We usually leave like one person behind. I didn't draw that. It's like the designated survivor kind of a thing. Not me. Like, oh boy. I gotta find out who the designated survivor is now. Mm, We should just get a dog. Um, the fact that we are pre recording also adds a level of difficulty to the other big thing that is happening this week, at least in my world, which is the World Series. Yes, you have the Cleveland Indian shirt on. Um, I am born and raised in Ohio. Uh, my parents live in a suburb of Cleveland. I'm of the opinion that they're going to win this thing. I hope so. I'm not a Cleveland fan, but I'm not a Chicago fan. Well, you know, the 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 rivalry between St. Louis and Chicago is pretty. It's gotten epic. more heated the last couple of years. Yeah, thanks yeah. to them actually being decent. <sighs> ah. Hear that, Cubbies? <laughs> it happens. Hear that? Um. So. Obviously, I do not. We'll, we'll know yeah. on Thursday, though, when people are listening. Hopefully, we know tomorrow or if, yes, if, the day before you're hearing this. If the impossible happens, because the odds are quite good that the tribe's going to win this thing. Um, if the impossible happens, please give me, I don't know, three or four days of morning. Okay. Yeah. I'll give you till before next you, Thursday. Before you tweet at me next week and make fun of me. Let's find out what the odds are. Uh, Nate Silver talking. thinks it's about 75% odds that the Tribe wins oh, over at okay. 538. Right. So, okay. um, yeah, the, the Cubs won the game they were most likely to win in Chicago, and it is all uphill from here. Um, I do not wish to take away from uh, my deep love for the Chicago Cubs, though. They are a wonderful organization. Many of my best oh, friends come are fans. On. All right. I, no, no when this started, start I felt about very badly about, take my eyes. Just don't make these two teams play each other uh, in the World Series. Take my eyes. Fine. All right. We'll talk about energy. Cleveland, since you don't not wanna, Chicago. This is the year, man. can't succumb to this your friends. I, I would actually, if I had a wish, it would be for if, you know, if and when the tribe wins this year, I would be more than happy to do whatever it takes to make sure the Cubs win next year if I had magical powers. Oh my God. All right. Next topic OPEC. Wow. You really just like. Don't want them to win. Oh, good. Go Cardinals. Yeah, why would you cheer for another team? You should want the Indians to win next year. I have deep respect for the Chicago Cubs baseball club. Okay. All right. That's all we need to hear. All right, so before we uh, get into the big news of the week that involves a $30 billion check, uh, we got to talk about OPEC shenanigans really quick since that's what we've been doing for the past month. Um, Why are the, we'll call them the OPEC kitties being mean now? Well, they met last week to try and drum up uh, an idea of what they wanted to agree upon on November 30th. 
Um, all over the weekend, people were, you know, talking. Oh, you know, they reached an agreement, but then it comes out that Iran, Iraq, Libya, Nigeria—they're still on the fence about it because they want to continue to raise production since they've either been um, under sanctions or had civil strife going on. So they haven't really been producing what they think they can. Um, so all four of those countries seem to be in agreement that they might not want to be on the hook for a production cut, leaving the other nations to to take the full brunt of the supposed uh, the supposed cut. So markets don't really think that it's going to happen. They were suspicious from the beginning. Yes, even a month well, because ago. I mean, this has happened before, very, yeah. quite recently, where OPEC said, "Oh yeah, we're going to negotiate a cut," and then nothing happens. Um, so we're in the same boat again. Waffling, continued waffling, so, and you look at a bunch of investment banks out there, and they're saying they would not be surprised at all um, if this doesn't go through, and then oil could, could crash back down to around forty bucks a barrel. On the other hand, I have noticed because you remember, like two weeks ago, Russia was like, "Oh yeah, we're totally in on a cut," and the market loved it, and oil went up. And then you know, this past week, Russia's like, "Oh, we don't know." Is that is it possible that a lot of this is just a negotiation tactic? Well, you like, because yeah, it's, it's it's a poker it's game, game, and you're theory. all at the table, and yeah, yeah, no one wants to show their hand, right? Um, because these are countries we're talking about that rely very, 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 very heavily on oil and natural gas sales to support their government, to support their people. So, it's not exactly just a few companies going bankrupt. You're talking right. about countries could go bankrupt if they don't support oil prices. Um, or support their own internal production and exportation. So, th- yeah, this this cartel has many more perspectives than yeah. just the sole cartels. Well, I just uh, obviously cartels are it encourages cheating. I mean, that's the beauty of a good old fashioned cartel. Um, however, on the other hand, I just never understood why these guys don't seem to care about what you learn in econ one hundred and one about just margin cost benefit, like. You, you decrease production by 4% and you make double the money mm-hmm. on the other 96. What is the problem here? Well, that all depends on who else is producing, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, and when that lends itself they were, to the They thought they were going to shut U.S. shale down by collapsing oil prices. We got Shocker. technology. <laughs> Shocker. We got technology. Well, there were some bankruptcies, but nothing uber meaningful. In fact, the companies that declare bankruptcy are ju- just about producing the same amount, if not they more, keep than they were. In, in while, chapter 11 yeah. or so, they sell their assets just and then stronger. Yeah, Exactly. Just because they declare bankruptcy doesn't mean they're not producing oil. And so, as the prices continue to creep back up, it's much more likely that they'll emerge from bankruptcy still producing oil. So, yeah, you you, you, you look at in a vacuum, sure, they should, they should cut production because they're producing at record levels. Um, but if they do cut production, somebody's going to fill that spot, just like they did... In 2014, when when Saudi Arabia was like, "Oh yeah, we're just going to start pumping just to pump because we can," so you're looking at all these wells that are drilled and uncompleted in the United States, near four, nearly 4,000. Those are starting to come back online. Inventory is out there. Lots of fun. Um, and we'll uh, we'll know more in a week, I'm sure. More shenanigans. Well, I, I mean, I, yeah, you're, you'll continue to hear more about it for the next month. Um, yeah, personally, I think that if you invest in oil right now, you have a little bit more downside than you do upside at the at the moment. Because if they announce it and say, "Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna announce this cut," they're they're producing at record levels. They're not really cutting a whole heck of a lot, right? Um, and that gap can be filled. 
if they don't say they're going to cut, then you still have this outstanding supply and you've got the downside risk. Oy. Oy. Cool. Um, on the flip side of the coin, though, one of the largest industrial conglomerates on this planet yeah, it, seems to be... Any planet that we know of. A, 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 that we know of. Yeah. We, we, we haven't explored Mars a, a, a ton, but... You know, it's there. Mm, it's there. Um, GE decides to buy Baker Hughes for $30 billion. Oh, no, no, they're not buying them. They're just merging with Oh, them. I'm sorry. They're yeah, merging they're, the they're energy forming, units, yeah. They're forming a merger with uh, their oil and gas unit. So, basically, they're writing a $7.4 billion check to Baker Hughes shareholders for two-thirds of the company. Or, or of the combined joint venture. Right, which will be about $30 Yeah, $32 billion in annual revenue. What... What was your first thought when you saw us come across the wires? Because, you know, I got the push notification from yeah. Bloomberg on my phone, mm-hmm. and clearly GE's been trying to shift away from the GE financial servicey type thing and just get rid yeah, of all that. They've gotten rid be, of about two hundred billion dollars in assets in GE Capital. Be the premier manufacturing industrial company in the United States of yep. America. This is a good way to do it, I guess. Well, so they've already, if not the largest, one of the largest um, oil and gas equipment manufacturers in the world, um, and now they're this joint venture uh, is going to create the, the second largest oil field services company in the world. So they overtook Halliburton. So right there, I was like, well, son of a gun. My boys at Halliburton tried to make this deal happen where they would merge with officially merged with Baker Hughes, and that obviously didn't go through after over a year of, of uh, legal battles um, with regulators. And so now you've got GE stepping in, and it's kind of interesting because um, they, they've spent $14 billion or so over the last decade on oil and gas acquisitions, and now they're kind of hinting that potentially they could spin that business off one day. What... Um I was kind of surprised because Baker Hughes, even if and when there's a, a decent recovery in the energy sector, mm-hmm. they weren't projected to be making gobs of money for years. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I looked at multiple reports this morning and I popped over to uh, S&P, uh, S&P Global Market Intelligence, looked at the analysts they polled. And you shouldn't, you know, you should take anything that these people say with a grain of salt. But bottom line, they've just been cost cutting like everybody else. They've been pruning product lines, you know, just focusing on the lines that have a hope of making a decent profit margin. Yep. What does GE see here? I mean, this is you would have to be looking way down the line. Well, they see a greater exposure to a recovery in oil and gas. Um, not only so now they're not just an equipment manufacturer; they're actually a services company. They do sell equipment to Baker Hughes, so there are some synergies that can be exposed there. Um, they say they'll continue to sell equipment to to other service providers outside of Baker Hughes, which I would have to imagine that would be part of any regulatory approval. Yeah. Um, you can't just go ahead and cut off the faucet to other competitors. Um, when you look at this, they, they still expect oil to be around $45 to $60 a barrel out till 2019, the end of that year. So they're not expecting this big, huge recovery. I mean, sixty dollars a barrel isn't too far off. I mean, it's about a twenty, twenty, maybe twenty percent increase in oil prices. But um, in the grand scheme of things, it's still half of what it was a few years ago. Um, so I think this is just them placing a bigger bet on a, on a, on a recovery. 
maybe not an immediate one, but yeah, a sustained recovery in oil and gas and the technological advantages that they can probably discover by combining a services company with an equipment company, you get a little bit better communication. You might understand some changes that need to be made in the products that GE was originally making, um, more so than if Baker Hughes was just kind of giving them feedback as a customer. Right. Um, so I think there's a little bit more incentive there to align it's product you, and service. Funny you bring that up, because uh, again, most people don't realize Baker Hughes is in 80 countries. Yeah, um, they're very very widespread. They, you know, Europe, North America, they're off the coast of Africa. They're, I, I do believe, a bit in the North Sea in terms mm. of operations. So, um, that's interesting you talk about the information, though. That's... Yeah, I mean, there's definitely going to be some exchange there. I mean, you would have to imagine that would be IP would be one of the big reasons why GE thinks that this could work out. Um, and then you th- start to think about GE as a whole. Um, you know, they have a $25 billion aviation business, they have a $21.5 billion power business, almost $18 billion healthcare business. All those are 2015 revenue levels. But if they can do this with their oil and gas business, um, which is about $16 billion, mm-hmm. what what else could they, what other kind of joint ventures could they do or possibly spin out um, into a separate entity from, from these other companies that would be a pretty meaningful player on their own in any of those industries I just mentioned? Um, so, yeah, so do you like the deal, bottom line? Bottom line, I think, yeah, I think, I think it gives GE good exposure to the oil and gas. I was surprised they didn't make more acquisitions you know, within the last year, just closer to the bottom of the cycle, um, when oil was in the $30 range, because it seemed pretty unfathomable that, that it would remain that low for, for an extended period of time. And they had the capital. So, obviously, they didn't issue any shares for this. They're just forking over right. some cash, um, some as in $7.4 billion. But, um, yeah, I was surprised that it took this long for GE to make a move, because... At least buy some more parts manufacturing. Yeah, sure, something. something. Yeah. yeah, I mean, they, they've probably made a few tack-ons that didn't really make a big splash in the news, but... Um, I was expecting something similar to this. Maybe not the same structure, but um, maybe the same dollar—the dollar tag—to bring somebody on board that could help them um, take advantage once oil prices do rise. Cool. Um, so, really quick before we head out, um, wanted to get your thoughts on a couple of uh, oil majors. Yeah. Uh, Exxon Mobil. You know, they had the potential accounting scandal. I don't even know how to describe yeah, it. Yeah, it was the SEC said they were investigating. Yeah, it, and it is kind of wild that um, their oil reserves haven't really come down in light of oil prices of mm-hmm. the past few years. Yeah. However, on the other hand, Exxon is known for its conservatism mm-hmm. in estimating reserves, so uh, what's going on here? Well, they say that, that they're So they say. Yes. Uh-huh. They're known for what they say. Um, that being said, Exxon might have to lower its reserves. Yeah, they they say that they might lower them by about 19%. um, And this isn't going to be a global reduction in reserves. This is going to be predominantly coming uh, out of their curl Canadian oil sands um, operations, lowering the expected reserves from that by about 75%. And is that price-based, meaning... Yeah, so you you and I both know the costs associated with oil sands. Yeah, so. <laughs> oil sands is one of the most expensive outside of like deep water. Um, I mean, that's like eighty eight. I stop me if I'm wrong, but eighty ninety dollars a barrel is what it's you need close. To. Yeah, if you if you really get into the high tail of this Canadian oil sand. So and you saw Shell, uh, set, Royal Dutch Shell, sell one point four billion dollars yeah, of yeah. um, Canadian oil sands uh, assets maybe a month or so ago, and so um, just trying to. Trim down on these higher cost projects, and they're also going to trim a little bit of reserves from other North American fields. 
Um, so pretty much all coming from North America, predominantly coming from the Canadian oil sands. Um, and this is after they released a 38% drop in third quarter earnings, right along there with Total and, and Chevron and, re, and displaying lower earnings in this latest third quarter. Um, so it's just, it is interesting that they're now saying that they might lower their reserves. And 19% is no small, yeah, no small amount. That's uh, yeah. But then again, these are reserves that can be they can raise the reserves again once oil prices rebound if they do. For sure. So, uh, really quick, what did you think of a Chevron's cost overruns at its Australian LNG operations? Yeah, so not only... That's supposed to be the growth business, so that's unfortunate. They're heavily invested in Australian LNG, multiple projects, Wheatstone and Gorgon being two of the largest, if not the largest projects in the whole Australian LNG scene. Um, and yeah, you're looking at total in Australia's LNG market, $50 billion in cost overruns. Whoa. Yeah. So... We're talking about $5 billion more from Chevron they just announced on their Wheatstone LNG. Um, but the largest by far, uh, you look at its Gorgon project, and um, that was projected to cost $35 billion. It's now right around $54 billion. It was, it was a lowercase Gorgon when it was supposed to be 35 Yeah, now, now it's a capital. It's all, now it's capitalized. Every single freaking letter <laughs> is capitalized. Um, and that's not only the most expensive projected but also the most expensive now being realized. Were there realized. hints of this stuff happening? Like this well, they, they decently... slowly announce these things 1 billion dollars at a time uh, <laughs> until all of a sudden you're like holy smokes that almost doubled the price of what they were expecting. Granted there you know these projects supposedly have you know 30 40 year lifespans but um, you look at the price of LNG in the spot market when some of these projects were announced back in 2012, 2013. Seemed like a good idea. And it's at the like two thirds lower now. <laughs> so not only are you spending more, but you're not making as much if you're selling LNG right now. Uh, so they're definitely hoping for a rebound. But yeah, they're not the only one. Woodside canceled a forty billion dollar project that they were partnering partnering with BP and Shell. There's on. these capex cuts again. And man. Shell canceled yeah. a twenty billion dollar project, the Aero LNG project. So at least they're not overrunning. They're just they're just scrapping them all together now. Yikes. Yeah. All right. Well, you get the last word um, before we head out. How are you feeling about uh, your BP call from a few months ago? Well, we just talked about um, Chevron, Total, Exxon releasing lower earnings in this latest third quarter, but BP announced uh, profits rose 35% uh, versus year year ago third quarter, reversing three quarters in a row of losses. Um, so they've been doing well with their cost-cutting initiatives, and uh, it looks like they're progressing um, with the slow but sure rebound in oil. So. Maybe it hasn't been reflected in the stock price yet, but a nice reversal, of course, here. Uh, For sure. Looking at $1.7 almost billion in profit. Awesome. Well, Mr. Markerman, once again, thanks for your thoughts. Thank you very much. See you, Fulapalooza. Yes, indeed. Go that, Indians. Thank you very yeah. much. Go Tribe. Uh, and that is it for us, folks. We'd like to give a shout out to our brilliant producer, Austin Morgan. And if you're a loyal listener and have questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Just email us at industryfocus at fool.com. Once again, that's industryfocus at fool.com. And as always, people on this program may have interests in the stocks that they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against those stocks. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear on this program. For Taylor Markman, I am Sean O'Reilly. Thanks for listening, and fool on.